You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hey, y'all. My name is Evie Owens, and my family has been at the church for my whole life. And I'm going to be reading Samuel, uh, Psalms, not Samuel, Psalms 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures furthermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like, I feel old when that stuff happens. You're like, no, that, I can't, no, I'm a young man. More and more and more, I'm not, it's fine. Um, I, I wanna do a couple of things before we dive in today. Excited about this passage. This is actually a life verse of mine, Psalm 1611, and we'll, we'll kind of break that verse down here in a moment. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to, as best I can, build a culture of honor here uh, where we extend honor and celebrate what needs to be celebrated and emulate what needs to be emulated. And um, Friday, uh, this past Friday, I got to uh, do the funeral or life celebration of Doreen Cothran. Um, and, and Doreen, we, we actually sealed off her seat over here. She's been sitting there. Uh, like this is, I, this is the first time I've been pastor of the Village Church where a Cothran uh, wasn't sitting in here. Um, we actually, for her 90th birthday three weeks ago, it was on Sunday, we had her stand up, celebrated her, gave her flowers, and um, in a culture that's just absolutely consumed by youthfulness, uh, I want us to celebrate rightly someone who ran hard for 90 years and was still serving Jesus with all her might the week she died. Um, and so, um, so yeah, our... our if you're from a primarily Anglo tradition, you, the, the Anglo church doesn't have what, what other churches would call church mothers, uh, these women that are meant to be emulated and celebrated, pillars of the church that, that really are a kind of matriarch to the congregation. And this has been a rough year for our matriarchs. Jane Thompson went to be with the Lord a few months ago in her 80s, and now Doreen uh, as a 90-year-old, but we know, man, she... With her beloved Tiff, married almost 60 years. In fact, Tiff died the week before their 60th anniversary, and, and now Doreen's home with the Lord. And I, I just wanted to take a minute and to honor Doreen Cothran, because if the Lord has moved in your life at this church, she somehow had her hand in it, whether it was her and her husband wetting the carpet with tears, begging God to do something in their day, long before I was pastor of this place, long before any of this happened, um, she was there with her husband and several others asking God to do something, pleading with him to pour out his spirit on this area, in this place where they saw so many people stuck or far from the Lord. Or far, and so I just wanted to stop for a second and honor Doreen. Um, and then I wanted to ask you to pray for yourself. Um, I, I'm planning on talking about the presence of God today. That, that's awake to the presence. Um, and and what I want but can't do is to give you an experience of that presence that changes your life. And yet the Bible tells me in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God, little g God of this age, has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. So I can say whatever I'm going to say, and I've worked hard, and it's not going to matter if the Holy Spirit doesn't do something. That's true every week. It's very true this week. Uh, and so here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and you can come with me if you want, and you can just awkwardly stare at me. Man, I've been doing this a long time. I'm fine with that, too. I might even give you a head nod. 
But what I would encourage you to do is, why don't you do this? We, we're, we're, we are embodied creatures, and that's why the Bible is always trying to get your body involved in worship of the Lord, get your body involved in God's movement upon your soul. Um, that's why he's like, lift your hands, clap your hands, bow down. He's, he's trying to, because you, you are your body and, and you, you have a soul and, and we've kind of messed that up. But um, here's what I would love for you to do. Why don't you just cup your hands and put them in front of you? This is too weird for you, you're fine, right? You just keep your palms in your lap, right? And here's all I'm gonna ask you to do. I, I don't know how you came in today. Man, maybe you have just been walking in a rich, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, in which case I would just ask for more. He's an inexhaustible well. How cool is that? So however awesome it is right now, there's more. It, but maybe, gosh, maybe this idea of intimate and near and friendship, maybe all that, you don't really have a category for that. So I simply want you to ask that you might experience the love of God as we've gathered here today. That's a simple prayer. Just, it's a simple, you just say it however you, just pray what you got. If, you're, if your heart posture right now is like, I think this is weird, I don't like it. I think you could pray, this is weird, I don't like it. But if you're there, will you please show my heart? Okay, that's a great little prayer. It's a prayer that the Lord will honor, okay? And so why don't you pray for yourself, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna dive in, right? Holy Spirit, we ask you, show us the beauty of Jesus. Will you help us experience your love and what the Apostle Paul calls our inner man? I, gosh, I don't, we know so much already and are stuck. We're not looking for new stuff. We, we want to experience your love in the deep places of our hearts. And man, there's a lot fighting against that this morning. And so I just ask that you would supernaturally and powerfully overcome those things in our lives. Thank you for your word, for the truth of it, for the weight of it. I ask that you administer to us deeply. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Okay, in the middle of your Bible, let me say it this way. In the middle of our Bible, uh, there are five books, literally. I don't even care what kind of Bible you have, big giant study Bible, little thin line. As long as you don't just have one of the Testaments. In the middle of your Bible... Uh, there are five books that are called the wisdom literature, right? The, these are the books that most of us pull our favorite verses from. Not always, but mostly. All right, it's Job, not that one. Psalms, there it is. Proverbs, double down on Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, probably not so much. And Song of Solomon, if you're single and hoping to be married, right? There, there it is. The five books of the wisdom literature. And these books are meant to lead us into virtue and to lead us into a life of wisdom because wisdom is not the same thing as being smart, right? I, I know PhDs who have wrecked their lives. I know brilliant summa cum laude folk, magna cum laude, who, who can't navigate out of a paper bag that's been wet. So wisdom isn't the same thing as being smart. And the wisdom literature is like this way, this way to life. And, and there's this dominant theme in two of the books. I think the theme is throughout the wisdom literature, but there's this dominant one in Job and Ecclesiastes, the two books that aren't many people's favorites, that, that really help us, one, they, they expose the danger we're in and teach us a lesson that we're not going to get on our own. You with me? And, and so, okay, a couple of you are. Um, that's fine. We're going to get there together, all right? We're all getting there and none of us are. Now, um, 
The, the first one's the book of Job. Uh, and eventually I'm preaching through this book because I love it. All right. So Job is a man who has it all. Beautiful wife, seven, eight kids, gazillions of dollars, position of power and influence. He's just the guy that most guys want to be. Right. And, and then he starts getting it taken away from him. His seven kids are in the house at a party and a wind strikes the house and all seven of his kids die in an instant. Then all his wealth is stripped from him. Raiders come and steal his camels. Plague comes and takes his oxen and his donkey over and over and over. He is stripped down to nothing. All he's left with is his wife. And her response to this is, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die, you fool. So I, don't, I mean, an honest man would ask for the camels back in exchange for the wife. <laughs> and this is not what happens. He... He is stripped of everything. His health goes, his family dead, his wealth gone. The assumption among the people is that he is a wicked man who has done something against God and this is why all of this is happening. And this is his response. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped and he said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and in all of this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong now we're chapter one we got a long way to go to get to chapter 40 right but but here's here is where he is in the beginning like everything stripped away Everything taken from him. He is, he is covered in shame. He's covered in boils and sores. His legacy, dead, burned to the ground. And he finds that the presence of God is enough. And then you, you've got, there, there's the lesson. The presence of God is enough. And then you've got Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and Ecclesiastes is the far right version of this story where Solomon gets Everything. So Solomon, um, who was gifted by God with wisdom, and he also inherited the wealthiest, most powerful empire on earth at that period in human history. And he's like, I'm going to test it all out. And, and so he keeps his wisdom, but he goes hard, man. Like, what, what you, if you just go read chapter two this afternoon, here's what he does. He's a young man, so he starts to party. I mean, he, he kicks off some parties, man. Like, he's killing, like, 40 oxen and 300 pheasants. So he has some friends over, throws a party, and it's awesome. And then he does it again, and then he does it again, and then he does it again. He's like, ah, it's not kind of getting the same kind of, I'm not getting the same kind of high from this kind of fun. So he ups it. He kills more oxen. He invites more people. He rolls out more wine. He, he brings in live bands. He, I mean, he starts throwing out burners, man. I mean, he's like party of the century. And then it just stopped working. You ever been there? It just stopped working. So he's like, man, it's time to grow up. And, and then what he does is he starts building a business empire. He builds vineyards and homes and he built the temple and he built his own house and he, he, he becomes this kind of business czar and then it stops working. And so he's like, well, dadgummit, let me, let me just give myself over to leisure, comfort. Let, let me go live out on the ranch. Let me go. And he gives himself over to leisure and he starts small and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And then it stops working. 
So he says this to us. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, so I didn't lose my mind in all of that. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Here's his argument, if you're not seeing it. He's going, pleasurable things are pleasurable, and then they're over. Pleasure is pleasure, and there's not more to it than that. That's his argument. He's like, surely there'll be some kind of transcendent transcendent sexual experience, some transcendent high, some transcendent victory, some transcendent. He's like, nope, 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 all the way to the end. Then he says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, the Hebrew word meaningless. All was meaningless and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, we hear this story all the time if we have ears to hear. This is the um, great theologian Jim Carrey. He would say this. (laughs) I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Or how about Madonna? who said, all of my will, listen to this, this is heartbreaking, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting and I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. A striving after the wind, indeed. And then Tom Brady, the goat, what? Says this. There's times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. Well, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? On and on and on, a striving after the wind, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. So Job finds that if you lose everything beyond your wildest imagination, you suffer beyond your wildest imagination, you'll find the presence of God is enough. And if you get everything your heart ever desired and more, you got that Bezos money, you tracking with me? It's still, you would still be there. You, right now, you, it's still you. There with trillions, right? a striving after the wind, meaningless. So the reason that Job and Solomon, the Ecclesiastes, can help us is because you and I are stuck in the middle of those two poles. I'm not saying you hadn't suffered, friend. I'm saying you ain't suffered like Job. And and I'm not saying you hadn't done well for yourself. I'm saying you probably did pretty well for yourself. You ain't Solomon done well for yourself. And here's what I mean by stuck. I've been in this area now for over 20 years. The way we get stuck is most of us, because we make a decent living, think we're almost there. And it kills us. 
we're just almost there, man. Just, just one more, just one more house with a playroom. Just one more car that has all-wheel drive. Just one more. I mean, we're just right there. We're just, oh gosh, I can just, I can get to a life of fulfillment. I've just got to get past this stage. Got to get past this siege, and, and it's a striving after wind. And and if you're not careful, you'll run your whole life on that treadmill and never actually get to life. And so here in week seven, what I wanna do in our series, Awaken Alive, is I, is I wanna turn your attention to the presence of God. I, I want you to turn, that, that the answer, regardless of whether life is going well or not well, it is the presence of God. Listen, look at me. You were designed to run on and to run from, and, and what I mean by from is the fuel of. Your life is meant to be the presence of God. It is, look at me, I'm gonna make my argument. It's the story of the Bible. It's the story. And what happens is you and I are quick to trade presence for knowledge. We're quick to change presence, like being with him, him being with us, being in his presence for facts about him. We have become, in 2022, 23, we have become great stalkers of God on high. But why stalk when you can sit? Why list facts about when you can know? Here's how my boy A.W. Tozer put it. Sound Bible exposition. That's a breaking down of the scriptures so that we could hear it, understand it, and absorb it. Is an imperative must in the church of the living God. Without it, no church can be a New Testament church in any strict meaning of that term. But exposition may be carried on in such a way as to leave the hearers devoid of any true spiritual nourishment whatsoever. For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring God to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their being, their spirit. So I'm not talking about God's omnipresence. That's a great incommunicable attribute of God, something that he and he alone has. It's the idea that the fullness of God is everywhere always once at once. He's not in parts. He's not like a little bit at him on the the end of the universe and a little bit here with us and a little bit over. No, no. He is all of him everywhere always at once. That's something to be marveled out and to to have your, your mind blown by. But this is something different than that. This is his manifest presence. This is he's here now in his fullness in a way that can be experienced and known. He's not an idea. He, he's a person to be known, to sit with, to lay our burdens down, to commune with. And, and David's, again, this is a life verse for him and testing this verse for 30 years. This verse that we're in, it lays it all on the line. You have made known to me the path of life. So this is what this is about, life. You fill me with joy in your presence. That, that word feel there is that satiate, that satiate, that's I'm full, right? You fill me with joy like I can't even do any more joy. I'm just full. I ain't talking about happiness. You shouldn't be pursuing happiness. It's going to make you miserable. But joy, thickness, strength, gladness, come what may, that's found in his presence. And then it says, pleasures forevermore at your right hand. 
Where's Jesus sitting right now at the right hand of the Father? In your presence, fullness of joy, path of life, pleasures forevermore. That's the promise. And the promise is that because the presence of God is the story. It's the story. I don't know what you think the story of the Bible is. The story of the Bible, all of it, is about the presence of God and our design to be in it. So God creates everything that we know. He's got uh, the Garden of Eden there. And and we read in Genesis 3 that he's like walking in the cool of the morning with Adam and Eve. All right, now he's spirit, so he's not body. It's just kind of a a picture of God's intimacy with Adam and Eve. And we know that sin enters the cosmos and and breaks it to pieces. And so now there's distance between God and man. Man rebels and says, I can be my own God. I'll take my own presence. I'll do it my own way. And, And they go to create that world, the broken world that you and I now inhabit. And what's God's response to this? Well, God's response to this is to move towards them. And in Exodus, we see the establishment of the tabernacle and the people of God encamped around the tabernacle and the build out of the tabernacle looked oddly like Eden, right? I mean, like if you go back and read how they built the tabernacle, it's almost parallel to the creation account. Like get back to Eden, get back to, because what God's plan was is my presence is gonna fill the entire earth. That was the cultural mandate given to Adam and Eve, like fill the earth and subdue it. It's like help the presence of God be my instruments, my viceroys to help the presence of God move across the entirety of the globe. This thing here, I'm walking with you in deep intimacy. It's going to spread to the ends of the earth. Have a lot of babies. We're going to need some help. That's it. That, that's your, there's your Genesis 1 and 2. Man and woman break away. They sin against God. They rebel. Go, we'll take our own presence. We don't need yours. What does God do? He moves and he, and he establishes the tabernacle right in their midst and a pillar of fire and a cloud to show his presence was there. And he organized the whole people of Israel around the tabernacle, all their tents. When they opened up their tents, there's the tabernacle, smoke, fire, cloud. It's all right there. Say, I'm here. His presence is with them. And then we see David or Solomon build the temple in Jerusalem. And and then we see the glory of God fall in the temple. And, And there he is, the presence of God among his people. And what do they do? Gosh, they do. They did what we do, what we always do, which is celebrate that presence for a moment and and then find our own way to to run from and to hide, to be nervous about and think that we're smarter than God and then pull away and do it our own way. And then how does God respond? He just keeps doing what he's always done. He moves towards And so he establishes the temple and his people turn their back on him again. They decide that they are a better God than he is, that they know the way better than he does. And so what happens then now now to, to finally nail this thing down? God the Son, second person of the Trinity, co eternal with the Father, descends, condescends, and puts on flesh and dwells among us. The word Emmanuel means God with us that Jesus comes and is the presence of God among his people. He dies our death, absorbs God's wrath, ascends to the right hand of the Father, and per his word, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of men and women so that the very presence of God, we are now that temple. So the way that the New Testament, post the ascension of Christ, talks about those of us who are Christians is that we actually are the temple, we are the tabernacle, that the presence of God dwells in us, that God is not only with us, but as we go, we take him with us, that we become the temple of the living God. 
the tabernacle of the holy God. And then from there, we see how all things are consummated at the end of the age. This is Revelation 21, three through four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there'll be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Did you see what I just went Genesis to Revelation and walked through every covenant and every significant turn in the scriptures to show you the story is the presence of God. It's what you were designed for. It's the place that life is found. It's the place that uh, joy is found. It's the only place that these things get established and worked out in his presence. And yet here's our problem. We keep moving away from the presence. Like Adam and Eve, we keep hiding ourselves among the trees like morons. Listen, this is Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Like we still, we still hide. We still hide from the presence. We still get nervous because it's easy for me to know some things about him and try to be a good person and let that be Christianity. I just know some facts about him. I mean, I can do that. Name, name your favorite celebrity. I could go to their, yeah, I could learn some things about him and I could talk all about how I, man, I hang out with them. Really, would y'all do that? Man, we were in Cabo last week. I mean, all I just had to do is read their Instagram page. Like, I, that's not what the Lord has. He doesn't have like kind of like bumper sticker theology for you. No, no, no. He's like, no, I want you. I want you to be with me. I want to be with you. I didn't die so you could just know some stuff. Died so that you might come back to your rightful space with me, God, with us, the hope of glory. Right? And, and yet, to this day, we hide. To this day, we try to manipulate. And, and I, think I, I think I understand it. Let, let me do two things um, quickly. Here's the first thing. Um, the presence of God is redemptive. Like, when the presence of God shows up, like the number of people I know um, that, that they have, they've hidden certain parts of their life and they think it's not welcomed in the presence of God. So they kind of have this little bit of themselves they give to the Lord. I mean, I'll give you this little piece, but I don't want to, I want to keep this off to myself. So you live a duplicitous life. Like you've got two different lives going at the same time. And look at me, I love you. That's exhausting. Like I, I can't hardly live the one I'm doing and, and you got two going. So I, I get why you're anxious. I get why you're depressed. I get why you're stressed out. You're trying to live two lives. But the presence of God beckons us into wholeness. Like, listen to this. This is John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You're like, I've got to hide this. He's going to condemn me. You're already condemned. He's come to save you from that. And then on into Romans 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you, you got some regrets? Let me, let me love you well. This will probably not be the Instagram clip for the week. If you don't, you're a narcissist that needs some deep help. I'm just saying, you are a broken human being. 
and need help. I'm not kidding. If you, you don't have some sort of regret, I wish I could do that over, I wish I, something's deeply, deeply broken in you, you, you are not that awesome. You mean, I'm trying to love you here. Like you need help, help, like serious help. It's a mental, it's a disorder. And, and our, our culture right now is creating it. Brothers, you listening to me? Men, I'm not saying women can't be, I'm saying that that tends to be a man lane. Now, now that we're like, ooh. (laughs) What you see in the Bible and in history and in this very room often is the redemption of those regrets. That those things we wish we could go back and do over, the Lord actually goes, no, I want that. Bring that in here. Get that in here. Oh, yeah, you made a mess of that. Now watch me weaponize that and turn it into something beautiful. It's my favorite thing about the kingdom. Like, here's it. Saul of Tarsus. You know what I'm talking about? That dude running around, killing Christians, women, kids, publicly shaming them, beating them, just making life miserable for Jesus. We would hate him. We would hate him and we would cheer if God killed him. And I'm like, not me, pastor, I pray. Listen, every time some ISIS commander's killed or something like that, go get him, right? So no, I'm not believing, all right? And so that's, what is he except a first century terrorist hell-bent on destroying the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus knocks him off his horse on the way to Damascus. And he says, hey, what, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul's so disordered. He's like, who, I don't even know who you are. What are you talking about? I'm Jesus. And, and then that whole backstory gets redeemed. Well, what about the woman caught in adultery or, or the woman at the well? Whole backstory redeemed. Uh, whole guilt, whole regret, whole, gosh, I wish I could have done that. Man, I blew that. Oh, man, I ruined that. Yes, and he takes it. It's a redemptive move towards where he says, don't hide that from me. Get that into my presence. I'm going to do something with it that will blow your mind. I am going to make you a minister born out of your deepest regret and pain. I'm going to use you in the lives of others to establish freedom and healing. Don't hide that from me, bring it into my presence. It's redemptive, he redeems it all. And this happens all the time around here. I mean, it's been happening um, the last month or two, like just hundreds of people have been coming down and receiving prayer and a lot of people becoming Christians. And even at Spin Weekend, last weekend, man, there was this whole group of, uh, of seventh grade boys who just served everybody dinner at the whole time. Like 370, 320 other kids in the seventh grade boys were like seventh grade boys, mind you. Now, I, I think they smelled like Axe body spray, but they, they <laughs> served every, I mean, what, what provokes Seventh grade boys to serve their peers. Well, the presence of God does because it's redemptive. Uh, what about um, the, the there, there was quite a bit of confession going on at Spin last weekend. Like, like these 15, 16, 17 year olds bringing these really dark, nasty things into the light and letting the presence of God begin to redeem them, begin to weave a story of redemption into their lives. What about you? Gosh, I know some of you. What about Moses? You know, I say this all the time. It's not a joke. Very few people in the Bible could get hired at the village church. I just think the way we do background checks would flag them and they'd be gone. Like, you got to be like, Moses, tell me about this guy you murdered with your, your hands and then buried in the sand. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I know it was a long time ago. But you also lost your mind with rage and smacked a rock 40 times with your staff. You got a real rage problem, buddy. Yeah, I think I might be able. Like, I'm just thinking, we're, I mean, you can't be a small group leader here if you explode like that. 
It's just not, we're just not, we're not there yet, all right? Like, who are we going to hire? But all these stories in the Bible, I just think you don't read the Bible right. You, you don't see the griminess of it. You, you don't see how pathetic these people are that God uses in such profound ways. And the enemy wants to keep you blind to that because you think he can't use you. But the presence of God is redemptive. Like David, a man after God's own heart? In what world? In what world? The Lord can hold things in tension that we can't. So the presence of God is redemptive. My last point, the presence of God is invitational. I love this. This is Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here's the question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Here is a plea in the Hebrew. He's just like, he's dying when he says this. Listen diligently to me. Do you, do you hear me? He's like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, how long are you going to keep doing this? Why do you keep giving all your energy to things that you know aren't working? Why do you keep investing in what has no return? How long? Please, God, listen diligently to me. And he throws out the invitation of presence. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Did you hear it? You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Come and live is the invitation. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He's talking about the Davidic covenant, but he's also saying, I love David, I can love you. Have you been a murdering adulterer? Because I love David, I can love you. It's invitational. It's invitational, guys. We bring our whole, we bring our whole battered self in. We're humans, man. It's just, we're just messy. And people want to flatten that out and make it simple. And we are complex creatures. We are at the same time gold and dross. We are at the same time beautiful and disgusting. We are at the same time believing and full of doubt. We are at the same time, like this is the complexity of it all. And, and Jesus in Matthew 11 says, yeah, get in here. I want all, bring all of it. The dross and the gold, bring it all. The doubt and the belief, bring it all. The hope and the fear, bring it all. The anxiety and the peace, get it all in here. I want all of it. There's not a part of you I don't want. The presence is invitational. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come on, come in. And, and Isaiah's like, listen diligently. Like, oh my gosh, how much longer? How much longer are you gonna do this to yourself? Why not come in? Listen, there's a feast here for you. Why are you just eating some crackers and calling it a feast? So I want to, I don't want to, let me just say this. I don't care if you think you're a good person. Let me say that. I, I don't know that I care if you said a prayer and were baptized. I'm not sure I even care if you can wax eloquently around doctrine and theology. I know a lot of people who are all that and don't know anything about the presence of God nor have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Here's my question. Do you 
have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus? That's the question. You can play religious, I don't know. You can play some sort of weird religious game where you're like, I used to do this and now I don't. Well, man, Pastor, I'm getting a grip on these addictions that I have or I'm not quite like, you can play that game. None of that was like, my question is like, do you have have an intimate relationship with God? I don't care if you go to church. Like, do you have an intimate relationship with God? I don't care if you're not getting as high as much. Do you have an intimate relationship with God? Like, like, do you have an intimate relationship with God in Christ? Then if you don't, I want to invite you, like the scriptures, to come. Listen, he, he wants that. It's, it's the story of the Bible. It's, you were created to run. It's the path to life. Joy in his presence. Pleasures for everyone. Come that you might live, is what the prophet said. But his question, the question that I think is haunting, is this kind of how much longer are you going to do this to yourself question, right? This is that last couple of verses in Isaiah. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love, sure love for David. Here's what what I wanna offer. I wanna offer what the scriptures offer today. Uh, In just a second, our prayer team, they're gonna come up here and they're gonna stand, some of our elders will. And, And if you've answered the question, no, I do not have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus, then I wanna... I want to invite you to come up and get one. Amen. I just want to invite you to come up and get one. Uh, our, our prayer team people and our elders will pray with you and ask you some questions. I, I think if that's stirring in your heart, it's happening. I don't think we're magic up here. I think the Lord's doing it in your seat. But if you would like that, come on. But I also want to throw this invitation out there. Um, it's been a hard three years, four years. And, and I wonder if you're just, and if you just feel like you're not sure you're going to make it much longer. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just more doubt than belief. It's more distance than presence. And it's just been a long time since you've been like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm hungry for the presence of God. I, I want to know. Maybe you're in that um, David prayer, how long, O oh Lord, will you forsake me forever? That Jeremiah prayer from a couple weeks ago where we looked at it, and he's just like, you deceived me. I, I think you tricked me. And maybe that's just where you are. Listen, I, I want to lovingly just go, it's okay, but you don't have to stay there. And so maybe you come up today and you just grab a hand and you're just like, man, it's been a long time since I've been in the presence of God. I don't want to move back in. I know he's moved towards me. I want to move back in to him. And so as always, I'm going to make that as awkward and as difficult as possible, both of those. But here's why. There must be a step of faith involved on your end or, or I have zero confidence that anything changes when you walk outside those doors. I, I'm still... I, I'm still prayerful that something will change even if you will there's a lot waiting for us out there a lot of stress a lot of enemy activity a lot of but but for the moment we can move towards and go no i want your presence strengthen me for what's outside of this or i don't i know why this isn't working now remember jane thompson's testimony she was 30 year old deacon's wife playing the piano when she realized she wasn't a christian stopped playing the piano 
and, and came up and gave her life to Christ. How embarrassing. I mean, how confusing. So like I already said, I don't care if you're on staff here. Dang it, we missed that. Do you have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus? So I'm going to pray and our prayer team will be there. And we're not going to stand up. We're not going to close our eyes and bow. All right, we're just going to, you, you want to come up and receive prayer. They're going to be here for that. And, and then if you stay in your seat, I, I would just ask the Holy Spirit to search you and know you. Where, where can I grow? What do I need to know? How can I? And, and then we'll sing a little bit. You can sing to the Lord. And we're just got just a few moments together here at the end to see what the Lord might be up to. Do you have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus? Look at me. This is what Christianity is. Did you look at me? This is what Christianity is. So if you parrot that you're a Christian and you have no intimate relationship with God, I'm not quite sure what you're building that on. And if you know some facts about him, I'd go, that's great. All those facts are true. But there's a way to know the facts that are true and still not have a relationship with Jesus. Ask the devil. Let me pray for us. Father, help us. Stir up belief in our hearts. Give us courage. I, I know for my brother, I just know men because I am one. And the kind of pride that exists in our hearts to be, just white knuckle it and make a way and survive it. I just pray you break our hands today from that nonsense. Pray if we need help, we just come and get it. And I ask, Spirit of the living God, that you bring about salvation for those. Maybe you've been in church a long time and don't, have never really heard or understood this idea of an intimate relationship with you. They've just tried to be better people. And so I just pray you'd help them, Spirit, understand why that's not working out so well for them. And so we lay it all at your feet and ask you to do what you'll do. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Okay, you move if you need to.